Hello, I'm your host, Leonard Duncan. Welcome to a new episode of ATV Talk and Motorsports Podcast. Please join us every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. We bring you interviews with industry professionals, live events, live news about the motorsports industry in every episode. Enjoy the show. Whether we are out riding with our friends and family or racing in extreme environments, we all need good tires. That's why I recommend GBC Power Sports Tires, a division of Greenball Corp. Their products, which include XC Master, Mini Master, and Groundbuster 3, are what leading professionals in the ATV UTV industry are using. You can get your tires at greenballtires.com or find them on Instagram as GBC Tires for further inquiries. Welcome to DBR Racing Products, the leader in 3D modeling and innovations. Since 2015, they have been revolutionizing the industry, starting with their groundbreaking YFZ450R battery boxes. But they didn't stop there. They have continued to push the boundaries, constantly improving their design with each new version. In 2018, they introduced the game-changing Vortex EXO cage, specifically designed to securely hold the Vortex ECU in a safe and sturdy location. This breakthrough innovation ensures your ECU stays protected even in the toughest racing conditions. At DBR, they understand that every detail matters. That's why they also offer an array of essential products to enhance your racing experience. Their spark plug hold downs keep your engine firing at peak performance while their LTR breather boxes ensure optimal ventilation for your machine. Their LT250 engine skid plates are a must have for those seeking unmatched protection. Engineered to shield your engine from impacts and rough terrain, they provide the ultimate defense for your ATV. But that's not all. They've developed ProPeg mounts that allow you to use TRX450R Nerf bars, giving you greater control and maneuverability on the track. To explore their full range of innovative products and learn more about DBR Racing, visit their website at www.dbratv.com. You can also reach them directly at 507-828-1233. Their knowledgeable team is ready to assist you with any questions or inquiries. DBR Racing Products, where innovation meets performance, unleash the power within you. Are you looking for the best suspension technology for your sport ATV? Look no further than Elka Suspension, the industry leader in sport ATV suspension technology. With championship wins in prestigious events such as the Dakar Rally, SCORE, Best in the Desert, ATV MX, Cross Country, and Works, Elka Suspension has established itself as the go-to choice for athletes and enthusiasts alike. But they don't just stop at ATVs. They're constantly expanding into new markets, including UTVs, trucks, SUVs, pit bikes, snowmobiles, and more. Their commitment to innovation 
and quality means they're always looking to improve and adapt so you can enjoy a smooth ride wherever you go. Want to learn more about what Elka Suspension can do for you? Visit their website at elkasuspension.com or give them a call at 450-655-4855. They will always be happy to answer your questions and help you find the perfect suspension solution for your needs. Jessica Elioff, how are you, young lady? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. It's been maybe 48 hours since you crossed the finish line and won your first WXC championship. Has it sunk in yet? Uh, it's sinking in a little bit more and more as the time goes on. At first, it was like all smiles and like unbelievable, and it's like sinking in now. So, when uh, I first spoke to you, the first time I had you on the show, you were in the back of a pickup truck with a dome light on your phone. <laughs> uh, I think you were in Florida. Uh, it was your, you're basically a rookie, and you've come so far. Yeah, that was, I can't remember if that was 2019 or 20, but it was in between Florida and Georgia when I was, yeah, still, still a rookie. You, it was uh, 20 and, um, hopes and dreams. You won a race your rookie season. You've evolved. You won six races this year. Um, tell me a little bit about the trials and tribulations of the year. Oh boy. So yeah, I mean, it was, it, it was a challenging year. Um, the, I mean, in 2021, I was looking back, I got two wins and then 2022, I got three wins. And then this year I got six wins. So progressively getting better and better. And I was hoping for more wins this year, but six is still a lot better than three the year prior. So, um, the beginning of the year was strong. I mean, we practice quite a bit down South and just training in the gym and trying to work out every day that I couldn't ride throughout the whole season. But at the beginning, you know, it was strong. I got a couple hole shots, um, out front, you know, some, some races was better than others, which you're going to have that, but, um, like at the beginning and, I, even if I don't get a great start, I feel like I can still work my way through the pack. And I was, I was able to finish top three, every race, but one this year, I got fourth and, you know, we got every condition out there, which, you know, super muddy at some and like slick and mud mess. Um, that was at the Penton, which was in Ohio, but it was terrible racing, um, terrible cleanup, but it is what it is, but we had everything from mud to, dust where you couldn't see, but a couple feet in front of you and then perfect conditions, kind of like, um, Ironman. So, I mean, it was, it was a great year. You know, every, every race had its different challenges, whether it was lappers or me making simple mistakes, um, or, you know, just trying to work my way through the pack, but I was able to, you know, come out with more wins this year and be able to take the championship. So I'm, I'm beyond excited. The the first time we spoke, but you oozed enthusiasm. You seem a little more reserved. Is that because it's all sinking in, or are you just tired from a really stressful 
I think it's a little bit of both. Um, it still is sinking in like we were talking about earlier. Um, it's just been, it's been a huge roller coaster of different events happening with, you know, great races, a lot of stress at the end of the year, because, you know, coming into the last race, I knew I had to take top three and I was telling my husband, I'm like, you know, if you would have told me that, you know, mid season, Hey, you know, you got to take top three. I'd be like, okay, that's accomplishable. Like, yeah, I can do that. No problem. Coming into Ironman. I'm like, Oh shoot. Okay. Like, I know I can do this, but the pressure is on. And just, I think it's just a little bit of everything of knowing that the pressure is off, but then also knowing that next year is going to be hard as well. Just trying to keep the title of number one and, you know, just still knowing how much hard work I put into it this year and knowing how much more I'm going to have to put into it next year to keep the title. So it's all just a revolving circle of excitement and enthusiasm, but then also knowing that, well, shoot, I got to work even harder next year because I know Chloe's going to be up there with us every race as well. And, you know, it's just, we all just keep getting faster and better. So I'm thinking like, okay, what can I do to improve myself to make sure that I'm just a little bit faster than the girl, the other girls. That That's kind of what it comes down to. Every professional sport is you have to redefine yourself every year because that's what everybody else is doing to achieve what you did the year prior. Mm-hmm. So do you think this analogy is correct? Uh, as far as when you earn a number one plate that, you know, they can hand you this little thin, number one, but in reality, what they're handing you is a solid hundred pound weight that has a number one on it because (laughs) there is more pressure added. Oh yeah. Yes. I a hundred percent agree with that. I mean, you don't want to, you want to take the number one plate and be like, who, okay, I did it. We're done. And it'd be one thing if that was like, not going to race next year, but knowing that I have that title, just like when I got a whole shot, I'm like, okay, now I know I can do it. I know I'm capable. Let's just continue to do it. But it didn't happen every race, which I know I'm capable, but you know, the circumstances just didn't play out how I would like them to. So same thing with the championship. I know I'm capable of doing it again next year, but I'm just hoping it all plays out the way I want it to, which it never does. But, um, you know, just trying to, like we just talked about, trying to think of what I can do to make it better next year, easier next year for me, or what can I do different than the other girls that's going to improve me. And, you know, it's just, yeah, it's a great thing to have, but yes, it is also like a weight of, well, shoot now, now people are going to be thinking, well, yeah, she's going to do it again. So you and Hannah had a back and forth all year long with the surprise of rookie Chloe coming in and winning a round, did you or Hannah see that coming? Um, I knew she had it in her. I think she needed to build that self-confidence in herself first. And once she knew that she could run with us, I knew that she was going to be up top and it was, you know, it's anybody's game. I mean, we're all great in the class and anybody could win at any moment. But I feel that, you know, come the end of the year, end of the year, once Chloe got that confidence she needed by winning a race and knowing that she can run up there with us, I knew that it would probably be me, her and Hannah battling, you know, come the end of the year, us three. 
Yes, it was. um, I spoke to Chloe before the final two rounds and actually her episode. um, I know this is going to be weeks down the road, but her episode is going to drop uh, tomorrow. Just uh, but everybody's going to think, oh, it's coming out tomorrow when when where they're actually listening to you. But um, it was the day after you guys had ridden a team race together. Oh, okay. Yeah. So she spoke very highly of you and she is very confident young lady. Oh yeah, she definitely is. Absolutely. I haven't been able to speak to Hannah very much. I had her on one show, which was a joint championship show and I haven't been able to connect. Um, so uh, how close are you as a group? Um, I know that Chloe made it sound like everybody was pretty close. Tracy seemed to as well. But in your in your feeling, how close of a group are you? No, I, I would agree with both of them. I mean, we all have our different lifestyles, but um, I talk to Tracy through social media probably maybe once a week, once every other week. Um, me and Hannah Snapchat each other a lot. Uh, she does landscaping as well. So we'll just send each other pictures of like what she's got going on for the day, what I'm doing for the day. Um, me and Chloe talked more come the end of the year and, you know, stayed in touch with doing that team race. And, um, like me and Hannah did a nine hour race with each other a couple weeks prior to the team race that me and Chloe did. Um, but no, I mean, we're all, I would say we're all relatively close and kind of stay in touch when we can and help each other out when we can. We all have each other's cell phone numbers. And I think we're all a very outgoing group and very easy to talk to like any of us, you know, we're just very open and honest with things. So no, I I would say we're very close. That's really awesome to hear that competitors are friends as well as, you know, you're, racing for championships money sponsors there's so much involved in it and you can still be friends and i think that that is uh pretty amazing and and, uh, and awesome you don't find that very often in sport so congratulations no. to you ladies yeah you don't and like going back to that there's it's like a fine line and i've never talked to the girls about it but out there like how i said we talk to each other almost every week And we're very friendly at the track. Like we bike the track together sometimes. So, you know, we're all very close, but when we get out there, it's a different mindset to where like you're still friends, but obviously we're competing for, you know, to make our sponsors look good to compete for ourselves because everybody wants to take first, but like on the starting line, we're giving each other high fives, hugs, like it's all friendly out there. We're competing against each other. And then when we come off the finish line again, it's hugs and, you know, we're happy for each other. We're not upset that we didn't get that position, or at least I guess I can speak for myself. I'm happy for everybody else, even though maybe I didn't do as good as I wanted to, but I feel all of us are older and mature enough to be happy, even though maybe the outcome isn't what we wanted, but you know, it's just racing's like a big family. You know, your family that you're not blood related, but you're all you're there for each other. I one million percent agree to that. Um, Out of all the races this year, 
please don't say Iron Man. Which one is the most memorable <laughs> for you, and which is sticking in in your mind the most? Well, this year I got to go with Florida because I won Florida, and that was my best overall finish, which was third. And I was, you know, the four by fours, a couple of them broke down again, didn't do as good as what they had hoped for, but I was able to get the whole shot, lead the race. Um, I, I enjoy Florida. I'm used to working outside in the heat, doing landscaping. So I feel my body's conditioned for that. And then riding down South a lot in the winter time, just coming into Florida strong. And I feel like I have a lot of upper body strength from doing landscaping and I just, that stands out to me because that was my best overall finish. And I was able to stand up on the podium with the other two four by four pro. And that was, that was a big accomplishment for me this year. That's a pretty good way to put it. You know, as, as far as accomplishments goes uh, until you're the one that's standing up there in the number one spot, which from talking to Cody, it it has happened and does happen. Mm-hmm. Is is have you seen it or have you been in that group yet? In in the like four taking with the four the by fours. Taking the overall in the morning race. Just third is my best overall. And I don't think so a that's... women's pro has gotten third overall in quite some time before that. Okay. That's, that's good to know. I don't have, uh, I struggle cause I don't have all the history. And, uh, if I didn't have so many irons in the fire, I'd probably do more, more, <laughs> uh, due diligent as far as looking for some of those facts, because it would help sometimes if I knew what I was talking about. And I apologize. Um, what changes do you think you'll make? And if you don't want to give any secrets out, you don't have to, uh, heading into 2024 to make it a second time, uh, being the champ. Um, so one big thing that stands out to me and that I've realized, I, I knew this, but standing more out this year is just field sections for me, especially in Ironman, me and Hannah went back and forth between second and third, multiple times, the last two laps, just in the fields. And, I know I'm very strong in the woods and in the tight sections, but in the more wide open, fast, flowy fields, I'm not as great. So I know I'm going to be practicing on that just to be as strong as the other girls in the fields. So that's the first thing that comes to my mind. Um, overall, I mean, I don't think there's any major bike changes that I'm going to do. Um, I'm happy with all the sponsors I have and the setup that I do have, um, you know, maybe tweaking things here or there, but nothing major on that. Um, yeah, I would just say, just try to be in a little bit better shape. I mean, most of the time coming off the track, I pushed it as hard as I could. And sometimes I felt sick to my stomach, like I was going to throw up afterwards. So I knew, okay, I need to work out a little bit harder, come the next race and just be in a little bit better condition. But most of all, I felt pretty decent coming off the track. So I don't think I have to work too much on getting in better shape, but just maintaining the shape that I'm in, if not getting a little bit better, you know, throughout the winter. So I want to ask you this based on the last two rounds, 
do you feel that the position that you ended up in third, those two races, do you think a portion of it was stress related or do you think that the competition level, you know, Hannah fighting hard to knowing that she had to beat you both of those rounds and then Chloe coming in there and winning both of those rounds. Do you think that's any pretext for what's going to happen in 2024? Um, so the, um, yeah, that's a loaded question, but, um, the 11th, (laughs) (laughs) the 11th round, the buck, we, that one was, I'm not going to say I didn't make a mistake because I came into the corner a little too hot, but I also hit a pretty good stump that flipped my quad sideways and ended up later in finding out that it bent my frame and almost snapped one of my tie rod ends and did some damage to my front end. And I came into a field section within a half a mile of the finish line, leading the, leading the race and came in probably a little too quick, but my quad was not turning great and it was okay in the woods, but coming into the fields, it wouldn't want to turn as sharp as what I needed it to. And with me carrying a little too much speed into it, pushed me further out, which is when Chloe snuck in and then Hannah was right behind her. So yes, it was my mistake because I should have remembered my quad wasn't exactly how it should have been because of the mistake I made by hitting that stump. But I kind of gave up first on the 11th round because I should have defended the inside a little bit better and realized that my quad wasn't 100% right. And I feel like I could have won that race. But because of the circumstances, I ended up taking third. And I was pretty bummed because I'm like, okay, half mile from the finish line. I got this. Let's just bring her home. And then ended up third. And I'm like, well, shoot, now going into the last round is more pressure because if I would have taken first, I could have wrapped it up one round early. But at Ironman, that one was, uh, that one, we went back and forth between first, second, and third multiple times between all three of us. And I knew Chloe had to take first to wrap up her third position because she was currently fourth going into Ironman and she needed the win. And I knew Hannah was trying to take first because she needed the win and she needed me to take fourth. So I knew that all I had to do was third. And with us switching back and forth between all the positions, Chloe ended up getting me in a field section and then Hannah, the same thing a different field section. But then again, me and Hannah switched spots back and forth, but she, I don't want to say she was riding aggressive because all of us were riding aggressive. We all wanted the win, but her and Chloe were battling it out because they both needed that first. And I'm not going to say I settled for third because I was in first at one point. Cause if I could make the pass, I made the pass regardless of what position I was in. But I knew that it wasn't worth it for me to battle for a first place position and end up hitting another stump or tagging a tree and making it to where I took a fourth and didn't win the championship. So I was content with taking a third, even though I knew that I could have pushed and took first, but they were battling a little harder than what I wanted to just because they knew they both needed that first. So if that makes any sense, I, it's not like I wasn't trying as hard as I could because I was still trying, but I knew I didn't need to battle and end up, like chancing my championship just because I wanted a second or a first. 
because I was in the position I needed to be in. Right, right. I understand. I totally understand that. Um, I want to go back a little farther into the year. I, I know you probably monitor points or watch points the whole year. At what point? At this is a. I got to come up with the right way to phrase the question. Um, so during the season, as it got closer and closer, as you're getting farther and farther into it, when did the championship possibility conversations start? Well, honestly, this is a loaded question as well. Um, <laughs> the champion, <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how to word this correctly. So this is going to sound maybe dumb to some, but me chasing the points and knowing how many points I am ahead, how many points I am behind, because me and Hannah were first and second, first and second, depending. We were very close the entire season. And knowing our points stressed me out more. So I actually didn't know what my points were or if I was leading or if she was leading. And I say that in all honesty, some people might not believe me, but you can ask either Alex or Nick, they, they were both, they knew the whole time, but I didn't like to know because it stressed me out and I didn't go out there to win every single race. Obviously it's plus, but I knew staying consistent would help me accomplish the championship at the end. So where did the championship come into play? Like that was the goal from the very beginning. And I knew that if I stayed consistent with top three, every race, I had a chance for the championship. Now, after summer break was when we all like sat down and we're like, okay, Jess, these are the points. This is what you need to do. This is how it's going to play out if these scenarios happen in this order. But after summer break is where it got more serious. Not that it wasn't serious the entire time, but where they sat me down and said, okay, these are the points. This is what we need to do if we want to make this happen when the championship was the goal the entire time. So just consistency was in my head. But if I went into the race knowing that I had to take first or I had to take second, it stressed me out and it took the fun out of it. And I didn't start racing so I could be the best out there. I started racing because it was something that I enjoyed to do with my husband. And, you know, we we just enjoyed to do with each other and met a lot of friends along the way. So I want to just continue to have fun with it along with being competitive. And I didn't want the entire year to be something that was stressful rather than fun. Well, not to change the subject, but speaking of your husband, I was under the understanding that he was chasing a title as well. He was. And that's why I didn't want to focus it all on me because my championship isn't any more important than his. And unfortunately, he wasn't able to accomplish that this year, but we both worked very hard at the positions that we ended up in. And, you know, he got second for the year, but he, he worked his butt off as well. And he's, you know, I'm just grateful for the time that he put into me knowing what was on the line for him. And even at the beginning of Ironman, I asked him before I went out there, I'm like, well, are you nervous? He's like, well, yeah, I'm nervous. I'm always nervous for your race. I said, no, not for me, for you. You have a championship too. He's like, oh, I'm not worried about mine. I'm like, all right. You know, he's, he was just excited and happy for me, but yeah, he had the same thing on the line. He had a championship he was trying to accomplish all year as well.
because he was focusing all of his energy and channeling it to you so that he didn't think about his. It made it easier to calm his nerves when he was going to go ride because he was focusing on what he needed to do and where you needed to be. Um, it, it's a reactionary, it's a um, voluntary response to making sure that you're not overwhelming yourself with your with yourself, if you follow what I'm getting. Yes. Yeah, it, 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 I totally understand why he would do it that way, because I hated points racing for myself because it, it, it's, it's an added stress. You don't enjoy it as much because you're positioned your head while you're riding instead of focusing on riding. When I was a mechanic, that's all I did was calculate positions and points and, and, but that was my job. Yeah. <laughs> and you understand as the writer, you understand that now if the roles were reversed and you were on the outside looking at that title, you would be calculating all those things because somebody's got to do it. Right. Yep. He, he would always say, well, all my nerves are gone by the time my race starts because I'm nervous for you and how you're going to do. And I'm not even nervous for my race. It's, I I would love to race in his position because <laughs> you just don't have nothing to worry about. You just, all right, let's go do this. Yep. <laughs> right? I mean, wouldn't it yeah. be easier if you got to watch him ride and then you got to go ride? I know. Yes. I use staying busy in the morning, cooking breakfast, and <laughs> just trying to do things for other people and just stay active busy so I don't have time to think about my race. <laughs> nice. So I you you commented that you do landscaping. Uh what kind of training regimen are you on or is it something that is a consistent basis with um riding, cycling, you know, is there a specific program that you're under? No, not a specific one that I'm under. I try to do something with cardio every time, whether it's biking, running, rowing, or the stair stepper. And then I throw in like arms with cardio one day. And then the next day will be legs with cardio. And then the next day would be like abs and back with cardio. So it's all mixed in with cardio, but I don't want to do one more than the other because you you use every muscle in your body that you can think of. And then after you race, you find more muscles that you didn't even know were in your body that are sore after the race. So you really try to just do like full body workouts, but splitting it up. So you're not completely exhausted. Like the one day I was shoveling and raking stone and I did that all morning till about one or two o'clock. And Alex is like, Oh, we got to go to the gym and work out tonight. I was like, all right, well, what are we doing? He said, Oh, it's leg day. I'm like, all right, so we'll work out legs because I did my arms with shoveling and raking all day. The next day I was so sore because <laughs> I worked out my arms in the morning and my legs in the afternoon. And the next day I was shot. I'm like, all right, 
I can't do that again because I just physically exhausted my entire body. When you get ready to go to the races, what's the last day you train before you guys go to the racetrack? On Thursday. So we'll do a lighter workout Thursday, whether it's just cardio or going, because you don't, I don't like to do, he does different workouts than I do because he is on, he does have um, someone training him, but I do slightly different workouts than him. We both do like arms and legs the same day, just so we're next to each other doing the same workouts, but um, just in different increments, maybe different movements. Um, He likes squats. I like lunges, different things like that. I mean, they're both leg workouts, but you know, different movements. Um, But yeah, Thursday is, I, he can do, he's tougher than I am. I like to say, so he does a harder workout Thursday, but I like to just do maybe a little bit of cardio just to kind of loosen everything up, make sure everything's nothing's too sore for Friday because Friday we either bike or walk the track, not the whole thing, but sections of it. So we still get a little bit of a workout in Friday, but nothing too intense because I want to be sore for Saturday. Are they e-bikes or pedal bikes? They're e-bikes. Well, that's cheating. Well, we did use, well, we still have mountain bikes, but we did use those on the track, but that is very, very challenging. And I don't want to bike the track on a regular bike the day before the race. (laughs) It might be cheating, but it is very helpful having the e-bike because of the terrain that you're on and the hills that you have to climb. But there are people. Yes, I, I heard all this before yeah i i i want to know the difference when you walk the track versus e-bike the track or bike the track do you still catch the same lines or the same things that are going to help you during the race is, is there a distinct difference between the two uh disciplines in um education because educating yourself on the terrain is really what we're talking about. Yeah. For me, there is because I'm not great on any bike and I'm way stronger just walking the track because everything is slowed down to where I can focus on what I'm actually looking at to where sometimes when I'm riding the e-bike, if it comes to a more difficult situation, I might be more focused on not wrecking rather than looking up and trying to figure out what lines I can take. So for some people, biking the track is super beneficial and a lot of people do it. So I feel the better I get at biking, the better that will be for me because I can cover more of the track in a faster time and see more of it. But for now, biking the track isn't as strong as just me walking it because I can see a lot more just walking. Cody Collier, I talked to him quite a bit because we do the pre-race and the race report with it. He says he walks the track, you know, tries to walk every time. Unfortunately, he's missed a couple of times, but um, he likes that over the biking because of exactly what you said. He gets to mm-hmm. notice more mm-hmm. different things. And uh, he also yeah. said it allows him to speak to more of the other competitors as well. Yeah, I I would agree with that because you're not just zooming by him on a bike and you can, you know, walk and talk a little bit as you're looking at the track. I 
I do agree that you are able to talk to more people that you see out there because there's a lot of people out there walking the track still. There's a lot that do the bike, but there's a lot that still walk as well. What time does the e-bike race kick off in the afternoon? And and how much do they do they sweep and get you guys off the course so that the e-bikes can race? Or is it just um, they just start the race and you guys got to get out of the way? They used to do the e-bike race on Saturday after we were done, after the afternoon race, but they started doing it on Fridays at four. And they don't, to my knowledge, they don't sweep the track and make sure everybody's off, but they do have a specific track for the e-bikes that most of the time people aren't riding that they're riding the ATV track. So they're not on the entire e-bike track, but I don't believe they sweep the track and make sure everybody's off. You just, you know, I think now people know what time it is and what's happening at the races at those times to where they're more aware of, okay, if I'm out on the track at this time, the e-bike race is going on, or they can hear the national anthem playing and they know a race is going to be starting. And they kind of know just to either not be on the track or to watch for it or get it off, get out of the way. That's pretty awesome. Um, I was talking to uh, the setup for the pre-race and the count going in, they were thinking that there was somewhere around 35,000 people at Ironman. Did you hear that? I didn't hear the exact count, but I know, I believe there was 477 racers in the AM. And then there was more, there was... I think there was 200 and something in the PM race, but yeah, 477 four wheelers just at starting at 10 going from 10 to noon. And that's, that's something that I took into consideration because I knew that taking a third was accomplishable, but also the amount of bottlenecks we might encounter. We lost part of that because of the, uh, Wi-Fi stutter. Basically, what you were saying is that you were fo- more focused. Okay. Yeah, you were more focused on the amount of extra riders you were going to have to deal with because of bottlenecks and other situations that was going to bring up. Yeah, that's riders that are usually out there, and just making sure that they don't make a mistake in front of me and then have fourth place catch up to me, or you know, come up to a bottleneck or something. It's just a little bit different mindset and race management you have to do with that many other racers out there in the woods at the same time. Have you ever thought of them moving the WXC to the afternoon race because you're a a, a, a pro class and there's less riders, uh, maybe something that would uh, allow you guys to maybe have to deal with less lappers? Um, it, have you guys ever thought of that or has anybody ever approached to uh, to bring you into the in with the premier XC1 class? I know it's been talked about before. I don't know if it's been talked about like through the higher up people, but just, you know, racer to racer talking. I know it's been talked about um, my personal opinion. I don't know if we should just because I base my speed off of like my husband who's braces junior A and then our friends who race in vet A and, you know, there's some like college A riders that I know are faster than me. And if they did move us up there, I don't know where they would start us out in line. 
because I'm not saying every single person in those classes are faster than us, but I don't know if it would be fair for us to be right behind like XC2 because I know that like the top five people in my husband's class are faster than us. And I don't, I don't know if moving us to the afternoon would make it harder for them because then it's more that they have to get around to get a better overall number come the end of the year. And I don't think it's a problem with having us in the morning because lapped riders, in my opinion, usually aren't terrible. Some races they're worse than others, but you really only encounter the lapped racer lapped riders in like this. If it's a four lap race, like you get the first two laps pretty clear. And then the second two you encounter the lapped riders, but most of the time they know because the four by fours come and pass them. So they know the women's pro are coming up as well. So they already have that in the back of their mind that, okay, when I hear someone coming up, they're probably not in my class. They're probably a four by four or a women's pro. So I don't have a problem with people really moving over for me. It's just more so the experience level of them not knowing how to get through a more difficult situation or part of the track. And then they get stuck and then it messes up your race, but you're going to have that in the afternoon as well. I mean, there are still racers out there in B class that don't have as much, much experience as us. And you're going to, you know, come up on them as well. So whether we race in the morning or the afternoon, I feel there's still going to be difficulties of lapped riders or people with less experience. I agree with that. Where's your preference? The dry conditions? I know that it's probably the conditions that it's rained a couple of days ahead of time. The dirt's perfect. There's no dust. There's no mud. But yeah. <laughs> if if you have to pick dust or mud, what are you going to pick? I'm probably going to pick mud just because I feel I'm a little stronger in the mud than I am the dust. The dust is still hard, but it's not as challenging as the mud. And I feel the mud separates you a lot more with skill level. And the dust is just, you know, challenging to see, but in my opinion, not really challenging to ride in, but it's just challenging to see what's coming ahead of you and what you're going to encounter. But the mud I feel distinguishes the skill level a little bit better. I did not expect that answer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> beans from the west coast where rocks and dust are our nemesis i i i don't ever want to ride in the mud not because i can't it's i don't want to clean the bike afterwards it's just horrible well but, you didn't ask me you know bike. you would like when you race in the mud you take your goggles off <laughs> no i didn't no i did not <laughs> um so when you take when you take your goggles off and you can't see in the mud. I don't know if it's the same as you're going down, you're going through the desert in the chop, and you're in fifth gear, three quarter throttle, and you can't see the front bumper. Um, that's a little unnerving. So it definitely I, is. I would kind of, I'm not disagreeing with your. I know that riding in the dust was always a, uh, there, there's a system to doing it and some people can do it and some people can't. Yeah, I would agree with that. And you have to, tr if you're following someone in front of you, you have to trust them because the closer you follow them, the less dust you'll get from them. I found out, but 
it's also dangerous because if they make a mistake, like you're going to make that mistake as well because you're very close. But the dust is way easier to clean up after. But I feel like I would prefer to ride in the mud over the dust. Either way, there's hidden gotchas. And and I guess it comes down to just rider preference. I've never been able to enjoy being wet and muddy. Um, (laughs) I just, it's just never been appealing to me. It's because I'm a West Coast, you know, (laughs) West Coast guy. (laughs) There's a lot of crit crossings we have to do. So I feel like regardless, some part of your body always gets wet and you just become used to it, I guess, and expect it. But I don't think anybody prefers it. Isn't the riding conditions where you live more conducive to being uh, wetter and and dealing with more uh, moist conditions or wet conditions um, just by the region that you live in? Yeah, I would say the majority of the time you have to deal with rain and the track being muddy over being too dry. Now, it all depends because I feel we had a very wet summer, but it, you know, we've had times where it's a very dry summer, but I would say more so than not, it's going to be more wet than it will be dry. Do you ride in the cold weather at all? Yeah, we ride here around the house as long as we can going into winter and to wear, like I'll have Under Armour on and then a hoodie underneath my chest protector as well. So we ride, we do ride in cold weather. Um, Like we'll ride the quads in the snow, but not to train. I've never rode in the snow just to train. I've rode in the snow for fun, but we do ride as long as we can, because the less trips we have to take down South over winter, the better. But, um, Yeah, I mean, even if we have a mild winter, we're still able to ride here, just bundle up a little bit more and your reactive time isn't as fast, but you're still getting riding in. How many trips would you normally characteristically take down south uh, to prepare for the beginning of the year? We go as often as we can. Um, We try to go with a group of us so that way we can split the cost of fuel and just take like one vehicle with the trailer and pack all the quads in the trailer. But I would say we try to go one to two times in December. It's kind of hard with the banquet and Christmas and then New Year's. But in January, we'd, we'd probably go three times and then February, maybe another two times. So maybe five to seven times we try to make a trip down. It just depends on everybody else's schedule and the weather as well. Cause you know, there's, they get rain down there too, depending on if we go to, we try to go to the Carolinas just because Florida is a far drive, but um, yeah, we kind of base it off of weather down there or weather up here. But I would say, I would say five to seven times we try. I believe you're in Ohio, if I'm not mistaken, which is the weather get that severe where you're okay. (laughs) Quick, sharp answer. Yes. (laughs) Uh, From the guy that doesn't see ever see snow. It, it can. Yeah. In Ohio, we, 
we can have really hard winters that snow a lot, or we can have mild winters, but like last year, it wasn't, it, we didn't get a whole lot of snow, but it was really, really cold a couple weeks in a row. Like you'll have one week, super cold. The next week's not as cold. And then the following week will be really cold, but the wind chill with the freezing temperatures is terrible. Like way too cold to ride in. Yeah, I could, I can totally see that. That No, 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 thanks. Do you guys snowmobile at all? <laughs> We don't, we used to, um, and we have some friends with snowmobiles that we go every now and then, but it's, it's honestly hard because like I said, last year we didn't get a whole lot of snow. So to be able to snowmobile, you'll have to. The team here at ATV Talk would love your feedback. Please email us at hello at ATVTalkPodcast.com. San Diego's Body Evolution and Wellness Center. With over 17 years experience, Dr. Heidi looking out after all your chiropractic needs and Coach PJ looking out after all your fitness needs. Visit our website, www.bodyevolution.org or call for an appointment, 619-987-8875. If you're in need of a consultation for your current racing program, a custom ATV, or an industry guest speaker, I have the company for you. Duncan Technologies International Inc. offers host, MC, and guest speaking services at events. Builds custom ATVs for recreational riding or racing around the world. And they offer consulting services for professional teams or individual racers. Send inquiries to Duncan Tech International at gmail.com or call 619-716-1532 for more information. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, don't forget to share us with your family and friends. The podcast is available on all streaming platforms and you can find us on social media as ATV Talk Podcast. We're on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, YouTube, Rumble, and Twitter. 